Welcome, everybody, to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. My name is Hunter. We're super excited you're joining us on this voyage, this journey of learning. Courtney's going to be joining us in a moment. She's busy because uh, we got some really, really cool stuff uh, coming up here at Odyssey, and I think she's going to tell us a little bit about it when she gets in. But we are in a time crunch these days. Schedule's uh, back to normal. We got our morning staff meeting coming up in about half an hour so want to make sure that we are all set and raring to go for that and uh, this is the first week we got our first week down in the books we've had kids now in classrooms we're hitting the academic stuff it's uh we're underway uh make no mistake but uh i just want to reflect briefly on the first four so in case you missed it from last episode the first four is a series of days, hint, it's four, uh, where we don't focus on anything academic. We don't share a syllabus. We don't talk about expectations. The goal of the first four, purely and simply, is to build strong, lasting relationships with our scholars. Uh, And we do everything. We do things from silly kind of icebreaker games to sometimes more serious kind of thoughtful reflective discussions Uh, and we watch videos and we have conversation about what we want this place to look like remember odyssey we're only in our second year so our our kind of perception of this place as a center of learning is constantly shifting um Not in major ways, but just in ways that we feel best reflect what we want this school to be. Uh, In two years' time, when we have a uh, full complement of scholars, uh, that might be very different from what we see Odyssey as uh, today. But the first four was a ton of fun, uh, and of course it culminated in our Olympic events. Uh, The the Olympics is a time for all of the advisories to compete against one another. Uh, the winning advisory is bestowed the Odyssey sextant, which for those of you non-Mariners out there, uh, a sextant is a device that helped early voyagers find their way through the use of navigation and stars and things like And look who came in. She is here. Oh, I, I decided to get started. I hope you're not upset. I love that for us. <laughs> I've I've just been I've been just uh, you know yammering away. So uh, what have you been yammering about? I was just getting into first four, but I, I want to kind of take a quick pause because you were telling me this morning that you were you and your husband Nick were building a camera, which I didn't know was something you had to do. I didn't either. Film is like such a new industry for me too. I um. You know, being married to a filmmaker, you learn so much so quickly about the magic of movies is not really a lot of magic. It's more a lot of really hard work and a lot of really uh, niche-oriented people. So typically, if you're building a camera, there's a team of people or a really intelligent, strong person that builds the camera, like takes all the pieces out of the different boxes and builds it together and kind of pieces together the lens and the screen and the covers like the uv covers and the all the buttons and the mics and the wires and uh so nick did that this morning at 5 a.m in our living room by himself half the words you just said i don't like uv like i thought that was just a sunglasses thing but i, I guess cameras i know they have to too. gotta protect the lens from being outside i guess well thank you for joining us i'm sorry again that i got started 
Uh, oh, no. Early. I'm sorry for being late. No, no apologies uh, are warranted. You guys are doing important stuff and moving, and, and I like it. It's fun. It's exciting. Yay. So I was just, uh, as you were walking in, I was explaining what the first four, kind of a recap from what we described last week. Um, but I wanted to talk specifically about how the Olympics went and the games, kind of that culminating first four event. And you and I, our advisories actually met up, competed against each other the very first they event. Did. Why don't you tell us about that event, Courtney? Wow, very first event. So it was uh, under the shade of the building. <laughs> I feel like Which I need was like, necessary. It yeah, was hot. I know. I feel like I need... Uh, tone setting music here so it sounds really competitive and uh there's hooting and hollering we'll we'll, we'll edit it in we'll All get right. it in there okay uh so we met under the shade of the building to compete in a row of six scholars they were lined up sitting in chairs one two three four five six and each scholar placed a single oreo cookie on their forehead and they had to maneuver the cookie not using their hands into their mouths that sounds intense yeah and you know, a lot of kids in my advisory signed up for it. They were like, this is going to be fun. I get to eat cookies. It's easy. <laughs> and it was so hard. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Like, it seemed like the strategy that your team was using had some merit to it. But at the same time, it's kind of a little luck of the draw. You kind of wiggle your eyebrows and your cheeks and hold your mouth open and hope the cookie, like, falls in the right place. Yeah, my advisory resorted to very specific yelling of feedback involving various facial body parts. I loved it. Move your cheekbone, your cheek. Onto the just... nose, onto the nose. <laughs> and uh, like, I wish like some like passive observer would have like walked by and be like, what the heck is going on over there? I know, or even just audio of it. Oh my gosh, so funny. It was, it was really fun, though, and especially comparing this year's Olympics to last year, I think that there were a lot of differences that we noticed in the ways in which the kids were communicating with each other. Totally. Um, the way they sort of just saw the games in general as a participatory event. Um, and it was really, really fun to watch. So what would be your favorite highlight or takeaway from Olympics this year? Yeah, you know, going off of what you just shared, like the way that the scholars were engaging with one another was so inspiring to me because I remember I'm a very competitive person and anyone in my advisory knows that like we're a competitive team. But last year we were so competitive that if we didn't win, there was almost like a like a loss of sense of self or something like to lose a game or to lose the Olympics was like, we're unworthy or we didn't try hard enough. You know, it was like a pretty big defeat. This year, however, to not win was treated with as much like glee and happiness and like fun as winning would have been. And so when we played you, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me was that your scholars were able to eat the cookie and move down the line, right? Because if the first person got the cookie in their mouth, then the second person could start and then the third person and so on. Right. On my team, our first competitor wasn't able to get the cookie in his mouth for the whole six minute game. But he kept trying and he was getting cheered on by his teammates. At no point was anyone giving up on him. At no point was he giving up on himself. I think it was probably like a little hard, you know, to like continue to try, even though he wasn't seeing the progress that he wanted. But after the game, everyone went up to him and was like, good job for trying so hard. Like, I'm so proud of you for not giving up. We at least get to eat our cookies still, and they all high-fived. We did our cheer, and that was that. 
And for me, that sort of surrender to the power of winning, quote unquote, was like really powerful. Coming from a team that used to be so competitive, they would scream at each other for quote unquote failing at something. So this year to see them kind of rise around the experience of being together and having fun as opposed to winning, that was powerful for me. How I about think, for you? No, I, I would agree. I think across the board, just looking at all the advisories, not just ours, it seemed that we've really been successful at adopting a mentality where win or lose, let's celebrate. Let's, uh, let's enjoy this time. Let's enjoy the team building, everything that it is we're doing together. And uh, that's fun. That I mean, that that takes so much stress and pressure off of uh, what would normally be considered a very highly competitive uh, series of events. And that's not to say that we weren't competitive. I mean, I was I was yelling with the best of them uh, to <laughs> to give feedback and uh, and to try to encourage to urge them forward. Uh, and some events we did really well, others we did not so well. But the the end result was the same. We we got together. We celebrated and we we went to the next uh next event i mean neither of us won so yeah. <laughs> there's that we're uh, not sore losers over here but we are not sore losers by any stretch i want to uh just really quickly give anyone listening a, a an audio taste of what the olympics is like please do uh so this video is taken during a water cup challenge where one scholar had a cup of water on their head and had to dump their cup of water onto the cup of water head of another scholar, down the line, down the line. So it's like a train of water dumping. It sounds wet. Yeah, and here's some audio from that. It just sounds like a good time. You got music playing in the background, I mean, the, the, the second that cold water hits someone's running down the back, there's a kind of a momentary freak out there. It, it was awesome. That's it awesome. Was, it was probably my favorite event to watch, besides the cookie challenge. Both just very uh, entertaining. Whether you're participating or not, uh, those were enjoyable, for sure. Well, the first four is in the books. Uh, we've got off to a wonderful start here at Odyssey. Uh, a lot of good vibes, a lot of good feeling, and now we are in... The academic side, we've uh, started to introduce the course uh, and the topic that Courtney and I decided to discuss today, uh, kind of specific to ELA, but I think is something that can be applied to any um, subject um, in terms of trying to get a sense of where your kids are and what you need to do as a professional um, to respond to their academic needs, and that is a diagnostic. Um, so I'll start. I'll explain the diagnostic and then Courtney I'd be curious to hear um, how it went for you yesterday uh, yesterday was the first of two diagnostic days um, so we <laughs> this was a whopper of it a was. diagnostic it would have been it would have been hard for me to do it's it's a challenge uh, no mistake so what we had planned is we gave or we created an allotment of 90 minutes nine zero minutes for scholars to read and write and this year that came in the form of an argumentative essay. We gave the scholars a series of sources, six in total. Um, we also tagged on some comprehension questions to one of those sources so that we could get a sense of, you know, just on any given source, are they 
able to glean the information that they truly need to successfully write an argumentative essay. And then once they've gotten through all those sources, the the big event, they had to sit down and and write a multi-paragraph essay that had a clear thesis, a strong introduction, well-supported body paragraphs, and a coherent conclusion. Uh, and 90 minutes to do all of that. And I would, if I could settle on a word to describe the tone of yesterday's diagnostic, um, grueling comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, grueling or... Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it was hard. It was really, really tough. So um, I'm curious to just hear from you a little bit, Courtney, how that went for you yesterday. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's important, I think, when giving a diagnostic to remind the scholars that it's not necessarily a test for a grade, but more so, like, as, you know, Keith, our, our principal likes to say, it's like an x-ray of their brain. So it's a really arduous task, but in that task, we as advisors are able to see so much of what they understand when it comes to reading, annotating, summarizing, synthesizing, creating an argument. And we're able to see kind of where the holes in their knowledge are right now. And then we can use that data to build some support structures for those scholars throughout the next couple of months, throughout the next year, throughout the next three years, you know, if they need it. And so for me, reminding them that this isn't a punishment if you don't do well. You do the best you can with what you've got. 90 minutes is not a lot of time. Don't spend too long on each source and don't worry about the specifics of making it perfect. It's never gonna be perfect. Write what you can with what you've got. So that was kind of my message going into it. You know, I want them similarly to taking, you know, the PSAT, you want them to do the best they can with what they've got instead of getting so anxious and worked up about being successful, quote unquote, that they are unable to perform in a way that showcases their learning in a real way, like authentically, if that makes sense. Um, so in my room, yeah, grueling was definitely the tone. I mean, to read six sources and two of them are maps, one's a political cartoon, one's a chapter of a book, one is an article, one's an excerpt of a court case, right? They're really kind of dense, artifacts to go through, to show comprehension on, to synthesize, and then to craft an argument. And so to see them contend with that as 15-year-olds, as beginning year sophomores was, you know, inspiring because they had, I could just tell they had so much to give to the assessment. But at the same time, it's, it's very humbling because they're learning what the expectations are of them as 10th graders. And uh, to set that tone in a serious way felt important, but also kind of sad and hard. <laughs> How about you? Well, and, and I think to your point, I think for a diagnostic, there's something to be said about um, its ability to measure a scholar's uh, grit and uh, perseverance. Totally. When you are faced with a task that's just seemingly uh, insurmountable, what do you do? Do you kind of just slink away and, you know, don't, don't really – attach yourself to the diagnostic yeah. or do you just attack it the best yeah. that you can um, and walking around the room yesterday when my scholars were taking the diagnostic I saw some visibly frustrated faces that weren't giving up yeah they kept pushing themselves they kept trying they wanted to do the best that they could and they kept moving on I had some other scholars that <laughs> kind of just shrugged their shoulders and started doodling yeah. on, on their papers um, so there's something there. I, they, they wrote something. I'll be able to look at where they're at and maybe 
um, depending on where they left off with their writing, I could say, okay, well, maybe they just they got stuck at the thesis and shut off, or they were trying to put together a body paragraph and it just wasn't happening, uh, whatever the case may be. But man, I was thinking about, I was reflecting on the diagnostic extensively yesterday because I did not, I did not give as much of that, um, I guess, directed support that you did. Or like coaching. Yesterday, yeah, coaching. I didn't really do that. I let them know when they were halfway done. Um, at the half hour mark, I told them, hey, if you're still reading the six sources and you haven't started writing your essay yet, you should, I would recommend that you shift away from the sources, start making an outline. And then when there was 20 minutes left, I said, you should probably start writing your essay if you haven't already. Just do the best that you can. Yeah. As I collected them yesterday, I had a whole range of um, scholars that had the entire thing completed. I'd say maybe I saw five or six complete essays. Yeah. The vast majority got through a couple paragraphs, maybe three, yeah. um, but didn't finish. And then some that were that were still floundering around the intro and so my reflection yesterday was well what what are what are we really trying to get out of this at the end of the day what is the number one thing i feel out of everything we ask them to do i feel that the number one most important thing is a completed essay yeah because if you're only able to get to an introduction that will tell me something it sure as heck isn't going to tell me everything yeah about what a scholar can do so i Today, I'm planning on making some adjustments, um, two adjustments specifically. Um, the first has to do with source number one of our diagnostic, which was an entire chapter of one of the books that we're going to be reading in class this year. And how many pages was that about? I mean, the beginning it, chapter? Yeah, the, that chapter four. I, I think it's like 15 pages. It's, it's, it's a decent yeah. amount of text. But it's dense. And dense. It's really dense. Absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make a recommendation before they begin that sounds something along the lines of, look, this is a lot of text in front of you. Um, I wouldn't spend more than 15, 20 minutes on it. Scan through it. Try to pull out one or two main ideas that you feel will help build your argument and then move on to the next source. Did you um, suggest that they start with source number two? I did not. Okay, I would maybe add that to your list. I don't know obviously what your second one is yet, your second modification, but source number two is essentially a summary of the case that the question is themed around. Okay. So if they start with that and then work their way backwards to source number one, which is a bit more theoretical framework of this idea of land ownership, source number two is like a summary of the court case. So And it corresponds directly with the comprehension questions. So I would... I think that they got a lot out of starting with source two and then swinging back to source one. Okay. So also just to consider. But um, what was your second well, the, modification? The, the second one did have to do with source number two because attached to source number two were those comprehension questions mm -hmm. we mentioned earlier. And I noticed a lot of kids getting really hung up on those short answer responses and they were putting so much attention on creating these extensive responses to these questions that by the time they were done, they had like 15, 20 minutes left to write the essay. Yeah. Um, and so I believe I'm going to say to all of the scholars to bypass those questions, make the essay the priority, and if you finish with time left, then go back 
and, and take a look at those comprehension questions. And the more of those that you can respond, the better sense I can get of something like reading for understanding, reading comprehension. Totally. And if they're able, you know, if they bypass the comprehension questions, but focus on creating a strong essay, you'll be able to tell, we'll be able to tell in the essay what their comprehension level was like for those, you know, beginning two sources. Yeah. So I think it, it does seem logical, maybe overkill. It's hard though, 90 minutes is a lot of time. So mm -hmm. I, you know, if I was taking the exam, I feel like I would be able to reason where I should allocate my time looking at all the sources, but that's a skill that has been built over years of high school experience, years of college experience, and years of like post-grad reading and, you know, theorizing about education. So, you know, that to me also seems like a skill that I want to be able to push and teach this year, you know, how to address a task that is so big and so looming in a short amount of time like the SAT, like the ACT, liked time, like timed assignments in college, like how, or tasks in life, like how do you tackle something that's so big in a way that distributes your energy, like distribution in a way that's gonna create the best outcome for you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really curious to see how these changes will impact the the end result. Totally. Um, how how uh, this is gonna be 1A cohort that I see, you're going to be with 2A. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to compare 1A with 1B and then the village ones with the village twos to see totally. if there's any trends or things like that. Are there any other changes you're planning on making today or is the rollout going to be pretty similar? Um, I think the rollout will be pretty similar. Um, I think I'm going to push them to start thinking about the essay a bit sooner. You know, like at the 45 minute mark, at the halfway mark, if you haven't yet thought about your outline, go back and revisit the prompt and maybe start to build an outline with what you've read so far. Okay. And then at the 30 minute mark, now is the time to formalize your outline, look at it, add in the new sources that you got, push your argument ahead. And then at the you know, 30, 25, 20 minute mark, if you're not writing your essay right now, begin. Okay. And what, at the end of the day yesterday, what what percent of scholars would you say had a completed essay to hand in? I think it was almost to a T identical to the numbers that you gave. Probably okay. like three to six fully completed five to six paragraph essays. Okay. And then a large handful of like, I got to the second body paragraph or I have a really big first body paragraph or I'm almost on the third body paragraph. Uh, and then a handful, again, probably like 10 uh, scholars that weren't able to yet push past that intro phase. Um, but as we mentioned, it's, it's a really hard assessment. You know, it's a question that is quite controversial and full of context that maybe they don't know yet yeah. um, about land ownership and sovereignty and had a lot of legal jargon in it. And so it's, it's a lot to contend with and to get sources that support both sides of an argument and then to be asked to pick an argument to write about, it's a, it's a hard, multi-skilled task. Yeah, and I think it, it's also, just to kind of give a few final notes here about the, the way in which we designed this diagnostic um, for our listeners, uh, our theme is sustainability this year, but particularly within the first unit, we are going to be comparing and contrasting uh, indigenous populations with post-colonial. Um, populations. And we designed a diagnostic that was going to give them an early look into that, specifically with uh, native populations out of Oklahoma uh, and kind of current uh, more issues that we're seeing today. 
uh, between tribal leaders and federal government. Uh, and that's kind of going to set the tone for the content that we're going to be delivering in class. So the diagnostic, while is not going to be assessed formally, uh, it's always something that we can fall back on. Uh, we can make a reference. It's like a, it's our jumping off point. Um, and the sources that we covered in this diagnostic will always be able to be referenced in our conversations uh, moving forward. So, but it's not just, we're not just giving a diagnostic and then saying, all right, and moving, moving on. on. <laughs> our, our work, you and me, is uh, just beginning. We're, I mean, yesterday I was kind of just sitting around getting some other work done as they're slaving, toiling over these diagnostics. But on Thursday, uh, we are not even going to be in class, I don't think. Or are we are we switching? Do we know yet? We don't know yet. Okay. That's, we'll, we'll figure it out. At some point on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be meeting with the, the wonderful, the fantastic, our literacy coach, Rosemary, is going to be stopping in. And we're going to be taking a look at these diagnostics. Uh, with a microscope. Yes. What are we going to be doing with these things? Yeah, we're going to be examining them as independent bodies of work. And we're going to be looking at them with a rubric that we created over the summer that is going to give us so many data points on what the scholars are currently able to do right now and what they need support on moving forward when it comes to reading, summarizing, synthesizing, building an argument, and creating a product that is both academic in tone and in nature and logical, thoughtful, uh, relying on sources, like all that it means to argue a point in life, <laughs> I guess, and through writing in an academic tone. Yeah, totally. Uh, so we're going to be looking at these uh, these artifacts of, of, of student learning uh, together really closely and determining where all the scholars in the school are at, noticing trends in their learning. So if we see, you know, 32 of our scholars were really struggling to write a thesis statement, or we notice that 17 of our scholars didn't include transitions in their paragraphs, then we can meet with those scholars specifically or design whole class units around how to boost their understanding of that concept, how to support them in learning more deeply about the skill. Uh, so it really is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, an x-ray of the kids' brains that allows us to see what's our next best move with teaching them and learning with them in an attentive, responsive way. The diagnostic, I think, helps us get back to that workshop model where totally. we can really compartmentalize the different needs that our kids have and address them simultaneously uh, in the classroom setting. So um, I think taking a look at those uh, on Thursday, very thankful to both Keith and Becky for whoop, whoop. allowing this to happen, getting us subs so that we can uh, indeed meet and, and make these uh, decisions uh, for our kids moving forward and trying to do what's right uh, by them. So a lot to look forward to. And Rosemary is just an amazing human. So Truly a beam of sunshine yeah, on this earth. We're, it's it's going to be a wonderful Thursday. Uh, I already know. Yeah, I'm excited too. Next week we can circle back and share like what trends we noticed. Um, it'll be fun to reflect on. Absolutely. So we got our staff meeting coming up here, but before that, um, you, and before we wrap this up, we just want to preview some things coming up. What are we looking? What are we looking forward to? What's what's next? Well, in four weeks, count them one, two, three, four. Um, internship start for the sophomores. Four weeks. I know. That's not a lot of time. I know. Got phone calls to make. I know. And resumes to build. And oh, man. Community visits to make and emails to send. So, yeah, I'm, you know, definitely looking forward to watching the scholars articulate and pursue their interests. 
um, when it comes to their professional interests and their personal interests. You know, a scholar that wants to be a neurosurgeon might decide to go for an internship at the local VA hospital in Long Beach, or they might decide to pursue their interest in guitars and, you know, go to a guitar manufacturing company. Um, so it'll really be cool to see them lean into their interests and find an internship that, that really suits their learning right now. Um, so that, that work all begins in the coming weeks. I think I know what our next podcast episode is going to be about. Internships? Internships. How do they happen? What are they? It's what do you do to prepare? It's going to be rich. So much learning. It's going to be crazy. But uh, what do you think? Should we go to this meeting? I think we probably should. We should. All right. For the Odyssey of Learning podcast, my name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. Have a wonderful day, folks. <laughs>